Hey guys, we're so excited to share this message with you on the Center Set podcast. My name is Ethan and I lead worship here at Center Set. We'd love for you to download our app so that you can keep up with all that is happening in our community. Text Center Set to 77977 to download. Good morning, good morning. Who is excited for church? If you're new, we're kind of a loud church. We apologize if you're religious, your butt cheeks are probably clenched. Oh, we love learning God's word and having a good time. Amen. Uh, before we begin, can we just play a little game? Show of hands. If, if you have been with Center Set since 2017, when we first, show of hands, come on. A few hands. Okay, okay, okay. Put your hands down. Who, who joined our church in 2018? 2018. Okay, a few of you. Okay. Hands down. Who joined our, ours, our church in 2019? Come on, a few of you. Okay, one or two. Cool. Anyone join our church in, when we were uh, a karaoke church online during quarantine? <laughs> okay, okay, a few of you. Uh, how many of you have been with us for the last six months? Six months? Woo! How many of you came back when we came back to the hotel? Come on. Okay, a few of you. Amen. Uh, we are, this is Vision Sunday. And we, we, we cast vision for what God wants to do Next year, even though it's not January, <laughs> September, but this is the new year for our church. And I want to get a little rowdy. Is that okay this morning? And uh, I got a word that I'm going to preach. Normally I, I teach. I'm going to yell a lot today. So get, let's go. And uh, I, I, it's a theme. It's more of a, an anthem that God wants to speak over this church and over your lives. It's our motto. If you look, this is our motto last year. The promise still stands. And it's this word that God gives us and we rally around it, not just as a corporate church, but as an individual church, and God has a new word, a fresh vision for us this year. So if you're new to us, we're allowed, this tribe has a vibe, and uh, let's, get, let's get started with God's word. Genesis chapter 12, I apologize, normally we have big screens on the side and a stage, and the hotel elevator broke, so we're making it work. This, this is literally, fake it till you make it. <laughs> but God's working, let's go. The Lord said to Abraham, go, someone say Go. From your country and from your people and your father's household to the land, I will show. Someone say, show. Go. Sometimes you got to go before God shows you. See, if God showed you before, that wouldn't be faith, that'd be sight. You take the first step, then he shows you the next one. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you into a, your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. If Before we begin, can we just begin with some prayer? It's a special Sunday. If you close your eyes and bow your heads. God, thank you so much for what you have done in four years in this faith community. You're doing miracles, God. And the miracles are not over. I pray, Lord, that we would not leave this room the same. May we love more like you. May we talk more like you. May we act more like you. And God, that those who are on the, the outside looking in, wondering if you're a real God, would you reveal yourself to them? And everybody said? Yeah. Everybody said? Yeah. Pastor Ali, are you a superhero? <laughs> if you think that, please go tell my wife. <laughs> this is a blindfold because today I'm preaching on vision. Someone say vision. vision. And even though I can't see you, I see you. I saw you before you even came in this room. And God, he knew you and he saw you and he formed you in your mother's womb before you were even born. And he's got a plan and a purpose for your life. And all he's done, honestly, is ask Pastor Yasmin to be a voice to point you to him. And I'm going to preach to you about how vision, not sight, 
but vision is better. See, sight is about light. I can't see anything. Vision is about illumination. Sight is about information, stuff you can see and read. Vision is about inspiration. See, sight is about what you see. Vision is about what could be. And every time the Bible talks about sight versus vision, vision trumps sight. It says this in Proverbs 29, verse 18. Where there is no, what's that word? Vision. Someone say it loud. I, I can't see you, but I can hear you. Someone say vision. vision. Where there's no vision, the people will perish. Well, some translations say where there's no vision, the people lose constraint. They lose their identity. They lose their way. They don't know which way they're going. And that word vision is not, it's not talking about this. It's talking about this. The Hebrew word is supernatural vision, prophetic insight. And what it's saying is if you don't see what God sees, you'll never walk into what God has. See, some of you, let me just take this off. I'm not going to do this all day. <laughs> but you got my illustration. See, some of you had a vision for your marriage. You had a vision to get in those sheets. Come on. Don't be super spiritual this morning. Let's be honest. You had a vision, and vision told you you got to be intentional with flowers. You'd open the door. You, 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 when, when you would talk to her on dates, it was not like this, uh-huh. It was like this, uh-huh. And you remember what she would say, and you had a vision. You, you, you weren't going to eat that because you want, you want to look good on your marriage day. You, you didn't want to buy those Yeezys because you were saving for a marriage. You had a vision for a day, for a wedding. But then what happens? The, the wedding day comes, the vision's fulfilled, but you didn't revision. That's why so many marriages are struggling. I'm not, I'm not trying to be your marriage counselor this morning. But, but it's like, honey, it's our anniversary. Where are the flowers? Where's the, the chocolates? And he's like, you know I love you, girl. So I got this tattoo. Because you had a vision for a day, not a lifetime. You had a vision for a party, not a marriage. And that's what the Bible means. When you, when you have vision, when you don't have it, you will perish. And you can't just have vision for your marriage. You need it for your faith. You need it for your kids. You need it for your career. You need it for your money. You need it for life. And God wants to teach you how to walk, not with these, but with this. Because if you walk by this, if you walk by what culture sees, if you walk by what your family sees, if you walk by what your friends see or what your mama tells you to see, you will, you will perish. You will not walk in the things that God has for you. And the good news is that God wants to give you vision. He longs to give it to you. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 says this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. My heart pumps blood. I don't know about you. But my heart's on the inside. Even if it has eyeballs, it can't see anything. You gotta understand that the Bible teaches this thing called a trichotomy, that we are three. There's body, soul, and spirit. There's the flesh, there's the mind, will, and emotion, which is our soul, and then there's the spirit. And so even though we are separated from God, our, our spirit is dead, but our soul is alive. It's like a toaster oven. It's on the counter. It's physically there, but it's not unplugged from the wall. That's who we are before Christ. And God wants your soul to see and he longs to give it to you. So you may know that the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. God wants to give you vision. Someone say vision. vision. There's a great woman in the 19th century by the name of Helen Keller. She was blind and deaf, and she said this about vision. The only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision. God longs to give you vision, and even the blind know that you need vision. You don't need eyeballs to see. You just got to see through faith. 
And Jesus, he, he was an, a carpenter for 30 years, and then for three years he was an itinerant preacher, God in the flesh doing miracles, healing the sick, the lame would walk, the blind would see, the dead would resurrect. And often his teachings have been turned into leadership books, but only one time did he specifically teach on leadership, and he gave the prerequisite for leadership. Luke chapter 6, look what he says. Can the blind lead the blind? That's the definition of leadership, by the way, that you're leading someone. If you look behind you and no one's following you, you're not a leader. You got a title. And Jesus says that a leader who has people behind him, what qualifies him for leadership is not his charisma, not his talent, not his degree, not how smart he is, not how much money he has, not, not his seminary degree. Can the blind lead the blind? He's talking about you need vision if you want to be a leader. Because everyone sees the obvious, but can you see what only God can see? Vision will, will teach you to raise your children differently. Look what happens in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born. Why? Because they saw. Someone say saw. saw. See, the Bible says that we're supposed to walk by faith and not by sight. But aren't they walking by sight? They saw. No, no, no. When you walk by faith, you begin to see by faith. See, when you see people, you don't see them for their mistake. You don't see them for their, their shortcomings, their, the, the, the biggest mistake they've ever made, the, their, the things that they've failed in. You see them differently. You see what only God can see. And other people don't see it because you're seeing through vision. And because Moses' parents saw, not with these, but with this, they hid their son because they knew he was no ordinary child. And they were not afraid of the kingdom, king's edict. Let me tell you, Moses is not the only person who had a calling. Every single one of you has a calling in God. And God wants to give it to you. He wants to give you vision. He wants to show you why he made you. So often we, we live by this. This will be intimidating to you. This will lie to you. This will make you depressed. This will o o overwhelm you. And when you see, when you look with this and you'll see mountains, you're like, I can't move those mountains. That obstacle's too big. But when you see this, you, you believe in the God who can move mountains. When you look with this, you'll look at a marriage that's dead and broken and that's been broken for years. But when you look with this, you, you realize that God resurrected his son. He can resurrect your dead marriage. And, when you look with these eyes, you'll, you'll see a, a family that's torn apart, that's divided, a, maybe a, a life that's messy. But when you look with these eyes, you'll realize there's a God who's, who's bigger than any problem. And he can, he can put the broken pieces of your life back together. He's a, he's a master artist. And, and this God wants to lead you and guide you and give you vision. Someone say vision. vision. And so often, uh, I, uh, I wrote it like this. that Sight shows us what is. Regret shows us what could have been, but vision shows us what could be. And every person in this room, you live in one of these three areas. You either live by sight, you either live by regret, or you live by vision. Let me show you. Every, some of you in this room, you live by sight. You do your marriage, you do your finances, you do life the way that all of your friends do. The, the way they, they drink is the way you drink. The way they spend money is the way you spend money. And, and you, you, you never come out of the bubble that you're in because you are living by sight. And God wants to give you something greater than sight. He wants to give you vision. Some will say vision. Some of you, though, you don't realize this. You live by regret. Regret is, why did I go to that job? Why did I move to that city? Why, why did I break up with her? Some of you are sitting next to the person and you're like, why did I marry him? Uh, don't make it obvious. Come on now. Regret is more powerful than sight. Because sight is triggered by these. Regret is triggered by all five of your senses. You'll be in a car with your homies and that song will come on and it will remind you of your girlfriend. Oh, that used to be our song. 
you'll be in the mall, and you're not just doing your thing, and you're not even like looking out for girls, and a girl will walk by, and you'll, you'll smell her, but you won't see her. You'll be like, oh, that used to be her perfume. That's what makes regret so powerful. It's triggered in a moment. Some of you live your life with regret, what could have been. Why did my father have to die? Why did my parents get divorced when I was younger? Why did I lose that job? Why did her and I break up? And, and often you don't realize you're not living by vision, what God has for you. You're living in the past. And then there's vision. Someone say vision. Vision is different than sight and regret because there are no senses that trigger it. Sight is triggered by your eyeballs. Regret is triggered by all five of your senses. Vision, you have to close your eyes to see it. That's what makes it awkward. You've never been there. If you knew how to get there, it would be called experience. But you need God to lead you. Where do you go when you don't know where to go? You need a guide. Someone who's already in tomorrow. Ephesians, Hebrews chapter 13 says this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Someone say forever. forever. Jesus is, he, he was in yesterday, he's in today, and he's in tomorrow. He's, he exists outside of time. He sees your past and does not reject you. He sees your present and he still loves you. And he's in your tomorrow and he wants to lead you and guide you beside still waters. And even when life is difficult, even when life is challenging, he wants to guide you through the valley of the shadow of death. And his, and his staff and his rod want to comfort you. And the only one who can lead you and guide you is the one who has already been in tomorrow and says, this is the path. Don't look at these eyes. Look at these eyes. And it's in the tension of sight, regret, and vision. Someone say vision. That we are introduced to the story named Abraham. Let me read you the text again. The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord told him. Let me drink real quick. This verse is remarkable because it says the Lord said to Abram. And I know you can't see in, in, on the text that everything's capital, but when you read your Bible, th there are two spellings for the word Lord. It's capital L, lowercase o-r-d. And then sometimes if you notice it, all four letters are capital. L-O-R, all of them are capital. Same word in English, but the Bible's telling you something. See, there's a president named Joe Biden. President is the title. Joe Biden is the name. When the Bible says Lord, lowercase, that is his title. It's often the word Elohim. Someone say Elohim, which means God all-powerful, God almighty. But when he uses capital Lord, it's the name of God. So he's all powerful, but his name is Yahweh. That's the word right there that says it's the Lord. And that's significant because in John chapter 8, Jesus is teaching, he's preaching, he's doing miracles. And the Pharisees are like, you ain't all that. They're all drunk on haterade. And Jesus says, if, if, you, if Abraham saw this day, he would rejoice. And they're like, you're not even 30, bro. Hey, you've never met Abraham. And then Jesus says something significant. He says, before Abraham was, I am. And he says, I'm Yahweh. Maybe that doesn't make sense to us, but the Pharisees and the scribes immediately, he says in John chapter 8, 58, they picked up stones to kill him because Jesus is saying, I'm the God that came to Abraham. Jesus is talking to Abraham. Jesus is the one who exists outside of time. Jesus is the God who came, became flesh, and he's the one that wants to give you vision. And my job is to introduce you to him today if you don't know him. And Jesus comes and tells Abraham, I'm going to give you three things, a great name, 
a great nation, and the whole world will be blessed through you. That's crazy, because Abraham's 75. He doesn't have kids. He's landless, childless, hopeless. Viagra has not been invented. We are in trouble, amen? Listen now, 75-year-old having sex, trying to have babies is not crazy. That is nasty, okay? But God fulfills this promise through Abraham. Let me prove it to you. Have you ever heard this name? Four names. Aramfel. Anyone ever heard of Aramfel? Arioch. Kodaliamr. How about Tidal? So interesting because these are the most four biggest people on social media in Abraham's day. Biggest on TikTok, social, Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat. They have the most followers. They have the most influence. They have the most money. These are the four kings ruling the four nations of the earth. And if you went to anyone in that time period and said, do you know who Abraham is? No one would know who he is. And if you said, do you know who these guys are? Everyone would know. And here we are, four centuries later. No one knows who they are. And everyone knows who Abraham is. God's promise is fulfilled. God's promise is fulfilled. But then he also said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Which is crazy because all he actually promised was that he would have a son. How was a son going to become a great nation? Abraham he had to wait 25 years before he had his kid. This is, can you imagine? Sarah's 90, Abraham's 100. They have a, a one-year-old. And every morning Sarah would wake up and change Isaac's diaper. And then she'd turn around and change Abraham's diaper because he's 100. <laughs> How is this guy going to be great? Israel wasn't even a nation at the time. There are no Jews. Abraham is called the father of faith because he's the original OG. He is the father of th faith of three religions, Islam, Christianity, and, and Judaism. And all three religions that the sin had, had broken the world and that God wanted to start over. And if, you got to understand what is going on in, this, in Genesis chapter 12 before we get to Genesis chapter 12. What happened in Genesis chapters 1 through 11? you got to understand the context. God is working with humanity on a macro level. And he's working with everyone. He creates the world. He creates the, the ocean, Nemo and Willie. And then he creates the land, Pomone and Simba. And then, and then he comes and makes Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve sin against God and they rebel and their kids, do you know different? Their kids, Cain and Abel, they kill each other. Cain kills his brother Abel in a fit of jealousy. That's Genesis chapter 4, and we already have our first murder. By Genesis chapter 6, the Bible says that not just Cain was jacked up, that the whole earth was filled with people who only had evil in their heart. So God starts over with the flood. And like, okay, I know we're ratchet, but maybe we can figure this out. By Genesis chapter 11, they build a tower because they don't need God anymore. They want to be God themselves. And God does something different in Genesis chapter 12. Instead of working on a macro level, he works on a micro level. He says, I want to pick one man to become a nation. I want to start over with this one named Abraham. There are no Jews up until this point. And this man has no land. He has, he's not that wealthy. And he has no inheritance. He's not going to give any. He doesn't even have kids. How? Israel was not even a nation until 1948. But can I tell you, they are 2% of the world's population but 25% of Nobel Peace Prize winners are Jewish because the blessing of God is on them. And when God wants to make someone great, he's going to make someone great. They are 1% of the U.S. population. They own 20% of the wealth. God made Abraham's name great, and he made them a great nation. Amen? Can we just celebrate God that he did the impossible when all the things were against them? But then he also promised that the whole world will be blessed. 
How is the whole world going to be blessed from a hairy Middle Eastern? Come on. What? Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. You go down the lineage, and then there was a son named Jesse, and then Jesse had a son named David. And then David had Solomon. Keep going down, and there was this, this, this carpenter named Joseph, and he was engaged to this 14-year-old girl named Mary. Mary became pregnant, not through sex, but through a supernatural birth, a virgin birth. And Jesus came through the lineage of Abraham, and the whole world can be saved. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever should believe it should not perish but have eternal life. Anybody grateful that we can find life in Jesus? And the whole world is blessed because of this man. But this man had some issues. He, he lived in regret. He lived by sight. But God came to him and gave him a vision. Someone say vision. And there are three things about his life that I want to show you that vision changes the trajectory of his life. Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Vision will tell you to get past your past. Vision will tell you to get past your past. Genesis, before I say that, there are three things that Abraham needed to overcome. Three things that he needed to get past. Number one is his family. Number two is his religion. Number three is himself. Read with me Genesis chapter 11. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Abraham is one of three brothers. Haran became the brother of Lot, the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in the land of the Chaldeans, which is sometimes called Mesopotamia, in the land of his birth. I, I've never had anyone in my family pass away. I've never f- experienced the pain of death. I know it's coming, though. But I've been told by mentors and friends that there is nothing more painful than when a parent has to bury their child. And Terah is overwhelmed so much, so look what he does. Starting in verse 31, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of Abram, and together they set out from the Ur of the Chaldeans, which is sometimes called Mesopotamia, to go to, 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 go to Canaan. So they're in Mesopotamia, and they want to go to Canaan. Look what happens. But when they came to Haran, look how similar that name is to the name of his son. They settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran, the name of the city of his son. See, Terah was overwhelmed. He was triggered in a moment. Imagine he, he's trying to go to Canaan, and he stops in a city called Haran, and it reminds him of his son. Reminded of the Christmases and birthdays he would have with his son, the, the barbecues, and maybe on the 4th of July we have apple pie, and they're Jewish, so they have kosher or whatever, you know, I don't know. That city reminded him of his son. And in a moment, those memories came back. And it was so strong, he couldn't leave the city. And I wonder how many of you, you're living in regret. We can't see what's going on inside, but you're walking with regret and not vision. This is why when God comes to Abram, he says, you need to get out of the city. Imagine the, how overwhelmed Abraham is. His brother has died, and now he's living in the city that is named after his birth, and his dad could not overcome that pain and has died there. He's fatherless. One of his two brothers is dead, and Abram is overwhelmed. That's why God says, you need to get out of here, because you're living by sight and by regret. But then he needs to overcome religion. Someone say religion. See, Abraham, you got to read this. Uh, Joshua chapter 24, verse 2 says this. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River. And they worshipped other gods. Someone say other gods. other gods. 
That's crazy. God wants to start over. This is the original OG of faith. There are 300 verses in the Bible about Abraham, 40 in the New Testament. He is called the father of faith. He's the pioneer, which means in a long line of faith, he's at the front. And the dude at the front is not even Christian. He's a pagan. You know why the mission of this church is to help those who are far from God, bring them close to Jesus? Because that's the mission of God. God has always gone after people who are far from him. God doesn't care where you came from, what your birth is, what your parents worship. He can change you. He can change your destiny. He can change your family. And he does it first with Abraham. And he says, I knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. I don't care what you've been doing. i got a vision for your life that's greater than what you're, what you're seeing. I'm going to tell you that God has a vision for you too. And Abraham, he, he's lived his whole life in religion, trying to earn God's love, trying to, trying to do things and achieve things. And when God gives him this promise, he's overwhelmed. Why does God want to make me great? Why does God want to make me into a great nation? I'm not great. And look what this conversation they have in Genesis chapter 15. You can see how overwhelmed Abraham is trying to achieve, trying to, trying to figure out this blessing. Genesis chapter 15, verse, six, verse 1 through 6. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield and your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what, what can you give me since I, re I remain childless? And no one will inherit my estate. My estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up. Sometimes you got to get out of the tent to see what God sees. Sometimes you got to close your eyes and remove yourself. Look up to the sky and count the stars, if you indeed can count them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed. Someone say believed. And the Lord credited him as righteousness. How can you have right standing with God? By doing nothing. Abraham's not getting baptized. I'm celebrating the three people that got him baptized today. Amen. He, he's not in church. He's not feeding the homeless. He's not doing good things. And yet God says, you are declared righteous. You and I have right standing. Not by works, but by faith. It was this verse that Martin Luther was converted out of Catholicism. That he took this and he, he nailed the 95 theses on the Catholic Church and created Protestantism. That you are not saved by works, we're saved by faith. That Abraham, he never saw the cross of Jesus. And can I remind you, neither of you. You believe in a God that's going to take away your sin even though you've never seen him. That's what Abraham did. That's why he's called the father of faith. He believed that God would take away his sins even though he didn't fully understand. And he believed. And it was credited to him righteousness. And he needed to come out not only of his father and his family, but his re works-based religion. You know how I know you're still in works-based religion? You brag about how often you read the Bible. You brag about your church attendance. You brag about how you don't drink alcohol. A Christian, though, brags about how good God loves them. Brags about how, how faithful he is, not how faithful we are. Receive salvation. You don't achieve it, amen? But the third thing that Abraham needed to come out of himself. He's looking at God saying, God, you're great, and I'm not. You want to make me into a great nation? I don't even have a son. And he comes up with all these excuses. This is year 10 of walking with God that he finally becomes a Christian. 10 years, and he finally converted. Genesis chapter 12, they're just saying hello. And he goes, I'll, I'll go to church. Genesis chapter 15, he finally gets saved. And he's like, he doesn't see himself as great. He doesn't see himself as awesome. Not that we are, but God wants to do something awesome through you. And I hear this all the time. Pastor Ali, uh, I, I, God can't use me. And he'll say things like, I'm, I'm too old. 
you can use my son, but you can't, you can't use me. Pastor, I, I don't know English that well. No, 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 no. Pastor, I'm, I'm a minority. God doesn't use people like me. I'm a woman, Pastor Ali. Come on. Pastor Ali, if you knew my past, oof, you would not ask me to help serve. And God can't use. The moment you say that, the moment you tell me you've never read your Bible, come on. The Bible is filled with jokers, tokers, and midnight smokers, okay? You and I are all one of those people. Let me prove it to you. Let me read you a list of misfits in the Bible. Noah was a drunk, and God used him. Jacob was a liar, and God used him. Joseph was a spoiled brat. Any of those people in the room? You don't have to answer. We know you are. And God used him. Moses had a stuttering problem, and God used him. Last week, we talked about a dude named Gideon. God comes to him and says, you're a mighty warrior. Gideon felt he was mighty mouse, did not see him as big, did not see himself as strong. He was a coward, and God used him. Samson, oh my goodness, he had long hair. God can use people with long hair? I've looked through history. There are two people that God used with long hair, Fabio and Samson. <laughs> if you have long hair, it's time to cut it. God can't use anyone else. Jeremiah was too young. King David had an affair and, a, and was a murderer, and God used him. Elijah was suicidal and depressed, and God used him. Elijah preached naked. Excuse me what? I'm kidding. And God used him. Jonah ran from God and disobeyed, and God used him. Naomi was a widow, and God used her. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs, not bacon. God's the only one that I've ever known that can use a vegan, okay? I don't know what we're going to do with those people, but God can use them. I don't, but he used them. Peter denied Christ not once, but three times. The disciples fell asleep when they were praying. You guys are super spiritual. You guys have done, done that before, though, right? And God used them. Martha worried about everything, and that's a sin, and God used her. The Samaritan was divorced five times. And God used her. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had ulcers. And let me tell you, the last one was my favorite. Lazarus was dead. <laughs> you don't even need to talk or breathe for God to use you. And that's what vision does. It tells you, stop looking with these eyes. Stop looking at your mistakes. Stop looking at your family. Stop looking at who's in the mirror. Look with these eyes. You need vision. Someone say vision. Vision will help you get past your past. Number two, if you're taking notes, is this. Vision will remind you grace comes before greatness. This one's my favorite. Let me talk to all the parents in the room. What separates a child who's successful and a child who stumbles in life? Why do two kids experience the same setback, the same failure? One will fall down and be afraid to try again. And they'll lower their expectations and live a life of mediocrity. And the other child will get back up and try again. Take notes. Write this down. When failure isn't fatal, everyone in this room needs someone in their corner to see the, all of their mistakes and to help them back up. I read a book two, three years ago called The Culture Code and by the name Daniel Coyle. And he talked about how this group of psychiatrists from, I believe, Stanford University, went to an elementary school, and they, they wanted to test 100 kids in first grade and see who are the geniuses. And they tested 100 kids, and they said, okay, these 20, these are your geniuses. And the school's like, are you sure? Like, yep, this is a perfect test, and that's never wrong. They, they, the psychiatrist left for a year, and they came back and said, how did those 20 kids do? The school's like, oh, my gosh, you guys are prophets. How did you, these are our 20 best kids. You know what the psychiatrist said? We lied. We picked 20 kids at random because we knew if the teachers thought they were great, they would push those kids to be great. And those kids performed better than the other 80, even though they weren't great. 
everyone needs someone in their corner to believe in them, even when they fall, to help them back up. Why? Because grace comes before greatness. Grace comes before greatness. And this is not just for little kids, by the way. Adults need this too. Look at this. This is my favorite. This, this is a person, failed in business in 1831, defeated in legislation in 1832, elected in legislation in 1834, sweetheart died in 1835, nervous breakdown in 1836, defeated for speaker, defeated for elector, defeated for Congress, elected to Congress, defeated for Congress, defeated for Senate, defeated for Vice President, defeated for Senate, and then won presidency. Most of us would look at this like, bro, you've lost eight times and won twice, and you should stop. You should like DoorDash or something. Maybe politics is not for you. And every person in this room should be grateful that this man did not quit because this is Abraham Lincoln. This is Abraham Lincoln. And when they asked him, they said, bro, why did you not quit in light of all those defeats? He said, some people believed in him, encouraged him when he despaired, taught him that failure was not permanent and pushed him on. I wonder there are any Abraham Lincolns in this room. You failed. Maybe you had a business that started and, and went under. Maybe you're in this room and you're divorced and you've seen some setbacks and the natural inclination is to live by sight and regret and you lower your dreams because of what you see and not what God sees. God wants to give you vision. Someone say vision. Abraham, he's not the father of our faith because he's awesome. He's the craziest dude in the Bible. He's going to give Jerry Springer a run for his money after I tell you what he did. And what I want to do is I want to point to you and say, someone shout mistake. Let's practice. Someone, someone say mistake. mistake. Let's go through some of Abraham's awesomeness. In Genesis chapter 12, God comes to him and says, Abraham, I want you to leave your family, leave your father, leave your country, and go to this land. God was speaking, speaking to one person, Abraham. You know what Abraham does? Takes his cousin Lot. Someone say mistake. mistake. Genesis chapter 13, God says, go to this country. God told him to go to the land of Canaan. And the famine hits. Instead of operating by these eyes, he operates by these eyes. And he leaves and goes to Egypt. Someone say mistake. mistake. When he gets there, the king of Egypt goes, Dude, that girl's hot. He goes, oh, that's my sister. Please don't kill me. You want to take her? Oh, sure. And takes money and goods and goats and horses from this, the king. Let me kind of translate what's happening. Imagine a modern person comes up to me, my wife and I, goes, oh, my gosh, you're, that girl's really hot. Can I give you a million dollars to have one night with her? And if I took the money, what would that make me? A pimp. The father of faith pimped his wife out. Someone say mistake. mistake. 20 years, 10 years later, he's not in Egypt. You would think he'd learn from that lesson. Goes to a different king. King goes, that girl's hot. Again, a second time. He gives his wife up for goods and services. The father of faith pimped his wife out twice. Someone say mistake. mistake. And this one, last one was my favorite. Abraham is 90 years old. He's been waiting 15 years for a son. Has not come. His wife is 80, he's 90. And his wife goes, I got a plan. I know how we're gonna make this miracle happen. I know you're, you're 90 and I'm 80, but I want you, Abraham, to have sex with this 16-year-old maidservant. Imagine Abraham's 90. 
He's like, you want me to have sex with her? Whatever the Lord wants. God's will. Not my will. No! Just because the Bible says he did it doesn't mean you and I should do it. Someone say mistake. Failure after failure. Mistake after mistake. Why is God using this joker? I promise you, if this man was in our church, we would cancel him. We would fire him as a pastor. We would never let him lead a group. And yet God chooses the very person we reject to give all of us hope that grace comes before greatness. You have forgotten that the Bible is not filled with good people, but jacked up, messed up people like me and you. And they're loved by a good God. Amen? I wrote like this. We all need someone in our corner rooting us on after every failure, after every mistake. We need what we don't deserve, what we didn't earn. That's called grace. And until you get grace, you will never reach your calling. Greatness. That's why grace comes before greatness. Amen? And number three, if you're taking notes, it's this. That vision will cause you to sing, God ain't done. God ain't done. What's remarkable about Abraham's story is that five times he would build an altar in the middle of nowhere after his mistakes, after his shortcomings, and he would just begin to worship God. And the Bible never records the songs that he sang during those worship experiences. But I can promise you what the theme was. God, you're good, and I'm not. God, you, you want to make me great even though I'm full of great mistakes. God, you're not done using me. You're, you have faith even when I'm faithless. And my favorite part of Abraham's story, and I pray it blesses you, is this. In Acts chapter 7, we get insight into Abraham's story. This is the first martyr in the Bible, a dude named Stephen. To this he replied, this is him speaking, brothers and, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. You didn't see it. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent to him the land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance there, even though even, not even enough ground to set his foot on. God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. If you saw it, you would have shouted me down. So i got to read it again so you understand it. See, you and I in our minds, in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham's in the city of Haran, the same city that, that his brother is named. And his dad has died. And we think that's the very first time that Abraham has spoken to God. But it's not. Read verse 3. Show verse 3 again. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was in Mesopotamia. Let me explain what's happening. Abraham's in Mesopotamia. God reveals himself to him. Abraham's like, I want to be a Christian. Let's do this. Goes to church, starts reading his Bible. And life happens. Football's on. Kids got games. And 
the party I gotta go to. And little by little, God is squeezed out of Abraham's life. And you think, oh, the, I remember when God spoke to me, I, that's probably over with. Now he's in Haran. God revealed himself over there. His brother's dead. His, now his dad's dead. That's why in Genesis chapter 12, God doesn't say hello, <laughs> by the way. He just shows up and says, go. And I wonder how many of you during quarantine, your faith suffered. That you're not the same Christian you were before COVID. And you might wonder, is God maybe, I don't have the same intimacy. I don't have the same relationship. And as you read the Bible over and over again, the people of God are not in this room because we're faithful. We're in this room because God's faithful. And God used this story powerfully to speak to me. This last June and July was probably the darkest season of, of my life in ministry. It was very challenging. And I thought, honestly, God was done. I'm like, maybe God's done with me, babe. And she's got the gift of faith, which is so annoying when you don't, right? <laughs> Love you, honey. And she would say, God's not done. I'm like, I feel like I'm done. I remember I went to this church in Las Vegas. And there was 5,000 people in the room. And I, I preached like this, right? I'm like, get ready, get ready, butt cheeks clenched, I'm coming, right? Didn't know how these people would react. Two services, 5,000 people. There was a line of 100 people after every service saying, man, if I was in San Jose, I, I, I'd be going to your church. I'm like, come on, bro, come on. I, I was in such a low point, I, I couldn't hear it. I thought, honestly, God was done. And sometimes we get there. We want to walk away. We want to give up faith. And Abraham is not the father of our faith because he's faithful and good and has it all together. He's the father of our faith because God never gave up on him. And when he would sing, he would say, God, you're not done. God, you're not done. I, I may quit, but you didn't quit on me. And that is the theme for our year. Next slide. You're not done. And the reason it's not God's not done, and it's your, because it's a prophetic declaration that we're singing to God in spite of what we feel by our sight and our regret. We're going to live by vision. Man, my marriage may be broken, but God's not done. My family may be a mess, but, but you're not done. My boss is cray-cray, but you're not done. I don't know how I'm going to pay these bills. I don't know how I'm going to overcome this sickness, but God, you're not done. And it's this prophetic declaration, not over our church, but over us. I get my, my beautiful wife to come up. And every year on Vision Sunday, we do something very special. We, we cast vision. That's why it's not just a sermon. It's a, it's a prophetic declaration of where we're going. And uh, we want to walk through some of the initiatives, things that we're going to spend time and money on in the next year. And last year was the promise still stands. And this year it's you're not done. And you want to... Next, Lead us for a little bit, babe. Next slide, yes. Uh, this was a vision that God gave us that we are still holding on to, that we believe. If you know anything about what the story just read is that it takes time to fulfill God's promises. Amen. God wants to do something in us before he does something externally. Come on. And so for certain visions to become manifest in reality, we need to develop. We need to mature. We need to become the greatness that God has called us Come to on. be, which is, means we need to be Christ-like. There's a lot of work, if you know us. 
to become Christ-like. But he, I believe that he has a word for this house and that is that he wants to literally make us into a people that are revivalists, Amen. that are contending for the kingdom, that it can reach a thousand people with three campuses in five years. And by the way, we don't know where those three campuses are going to be at, but we have faith that God is going to lead us there. Amen. Amen. We believe that he's not done. And just yes. next slide. Yes. Next, you guys ready for the first slide? Woo! We are so excited. I know. Let's act like we want to. We want to love some people in Nicaragua. We partnered with an organization years ago, two years, two ago. years ago, to not only fund them, but to help build a church and an orphanage in Nicaragua. And what happened is COVID happened and it slowed everything down. But our prayers and our emails never stopped throughout Amen. the whole time. And we said, we want to continue this thing. We don't want to back out. We want to continue going there. And the second that it opens up for us to have a mission trip, we want to go. We want to rally our church and we want to go. So in 2022, we're going to have our first CS mission trip. I'm so excited. We don't know the details yet. Yeah, we don't have all of the details yet. Just think summer 2022. But we are praying. You feel called to go. Yeah. We're going. That's right. Next slide. That's right. Our first worship single, You're Not Done. We're so excited. Myself, my husband, Dalen, Javier, and Ethan all got together in a room and in July. we yeah and we began to write and pray and God gave us a word and it's prophetic because what you don't know about this song is that God had given Dalen a few words about it and it was prophetically on point to what exactly we were feeling and going through. And when I tell you that God is not done and he wants to speak to a people collectively, this is what we're talking about. Is that God will speak to someone else who has no idea what's going on, who has no idea about your intimate prayers and your prayer life. But he's like, I'm, I'm giving you hope and I'm giving insight to other people around Amen. because I'm not done. Amen. So it's not about us. He is still about glorifying himself. I get so pumped knowing that God is such a good God that he would give us little glimpses and words by his people. Amen. God is so good. And He's so I love good. that it's not just a theme on a banner. It's a song we're going to sing together. Amen. And right after the sermon, we're going to actually sing that song together as a prophetic declaration over this community and our lives. And number three, before we get there, let me, we, we had printed these out for you guys. Today's day 14 of the prayer and fasting. Anyone still fasting and praying? Yes. A few Lord, help me. righteous people, everyone else is ratchet. It's okay, no, no, it's fine, it's fine. <laughs> but day 21 was supposed to be today. But it's day 14, because the printer didn't print it in time. So let me, you want to read it? Let's do it, babe. I'm the better reader. <laughs> you are. Day 21, prayer boldness. Key leader, the believers, all of us here. Key text, Acts 4. Key observation, Jesus has acceded to heaven, and 10 days later, 3,000 people joined the church. Lord, we are asking for that right Amen. now in Jesus' name. Peter and John go to the temple to pray. There's a lame dude by the temple door begging for money. Instead of money, Peter and John offer him Jesus and healed him. First miracle of the church. That's amazing. Peter gets excited, as he would, and preaches a sermon, as one does. Spent most of the time talking about the resurrection. 10% of the city is now Christian. This is amazing. But their preaching actually got them in trouble and arrested. And they were told to stop. How would you respond? As Americans, we would pray for protection and safety. 
We would make new rules in how we would evangelize going forward. We would tone down the rhetoric. We would be gentle. We would be more seeker sensitive. Yet, the early church does the opposite. They pray for boldness and they pray for more of it. Isn't boldness what created the problem and put them in jail in the first place? Isn't boldness the problem here? They were so bold to evangelize that they got arrested. The church in Acts was a powerful one because they had spiritual grit and resolve to advance the kingdom of God. They were bold. Amen. The question we have for you is, have you ever prayed for boldness? Do you remember the last time you prayed for boldness, to speak boldly about him, to represent him with your life boldly? Do you know why the early church had boldness and often the church in America doesn't? They prayed for it. They contended for it, which is why we are changing the name of our church to Bold Church. We want to go back to our early roots, our boldness, and our audacious faith around Jesus. We believe that Jesus wasn't tame. We believe that Jesus wasn't shy. We believe that Jesus wasn't timid because he came after each and every one of us in our mess. While we hated him, he extended a hand and said, I love you. I see no sin in you because of my blood. And we have a people out there that is dying to suicide, drugs, addictions, depression, anxiety, cancel culture. You name it. Yeah. And we believe that this church is going to reach them. We believe that there's going to be a bold revival happening in Silicon Valley so that people can be saved, people can be set free for the name and the glory of God and the good of his people. In Genesis chapter 17, God changed Abram to Abraham. And God's changing our name in the same manner. You may have quit on yourself, but I'm not quitting on you. Amen. And we're going to walk out what God believes about us, even though we may not believe it about ourselves. Number four, you guys ready? We had this last year, and we didn't fulfill it, so we're adding it again. We want to give away $30,000. Last year, we gave away $15,000. You guys are so generous. We, we helped two church plants. We helped, we helped plant churches across the country. We gave to Acts 20, or 829, or 821? 821. 821, which is a sex trafficking organization. We gave to Foster the City, which is the, the largest foster care program in California. You guys are impacting people outside the four walls of this yeah. church. But we want to increase the generosity. Yeah. We want to be known more by what we do than what we preach. Yeah. By what we give than what we take. Yeah. And we have a big dream to give away $30,000 outside the four walls of this church. And the last one, this one's my favorite because it has impacted me the most. The, I remember when I was 27, I had got saved at 24, I was pagan for a long time and God changed me and I would go to church often. I'd read my Bible often but there were these moments and seasons of my life where there would be a shift. Yeah. And it's when I went to a conference with my friends, my Christian friends, there's 168 hours in a week. You often, we often give God one hour. But at a conference, sometimes you give God 10. Yeah. And it was in those moments where I gave God my Friday, Saturday and Sunday that there was this massive shift in my faith. I, I don't doubt that the worship here is good. I don't doubt that the preaching here is good. But you need something more than worship songs and sermons. You need yeah. an encounter with yeah. the living Amen. God. Come on. 
You need a mo one moment with him is better than a thousand elsewhere. That's what that's for. That you would have an encounter with him and forever be different. And uh, today before we, we want to invite the worship team to come up. And we want to sing this song that we wrote in-house called You're Not Done. Just let it sing over your marriage, sing over your finances, sing over maybe your health, maybe sing over your family, maybe sing over your faith. I every person to close their eyes and bow their head in this moment. God, thank you so much for this story. Thank you so much for the story of Abraham, this crazy misfit who was probably more ratchet than righteous. But his story is not that he's good but that you are. Pray for these people in this room, God, that can't get past their past. Would you help them? Would you remind them not to live by sight or by regret, but by, by vision? Pray for the people in this room that have fallen down and messed up, and they need to be reminded that grace comes before greatness. Pray for the people in this room that have lost hope, Teach them to sing from their brokenness, from their doubt. Just like Abraham, that you're not done, regardless of what I see around me. With every eye closed and with every head bowed, this is a holy moment for some of you. Some of you have not started a relationship with this living God, and his name is Jesus. The Old Testament calls him Yahweh. The New Testament calls him Jesus. He is the Lord and Savior. And if God wanted to condemn you, he would have sent a condemner. If he wanted to punish you, he would have sent a punisher. But he wanted to save you, so he sent a savior. And Jesus left heaven as God and became a man so that he can die on the cross for your sins and my sins. He died for us not when we were good, but when we were his enemies. And you don't need to do anything to achieve salvation. You just need to receive it. And if you need to know this, that Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship with a living God. And if that's you this morning, you feel this tug on your heart that you want to start a relationship with God, would you, with every eye closed and every head bowed, would you just shoot your hand up? I want to pray with you this morning. You put your hand down. Pray this prayer. Jesus, thank you that you left heaven. You're sinless perfect in all the ways that I'm not. And you didn't come, God, to condemn me. You didn't come to say, I told you so. You did what every good parent would do. You came to die for your kids. I want to receive that, Jesus. My life is messy, God. I need your grace. I need you to help me get past my past. I want to walk with you, God, all the days of my life. God, give me vision on how and why you created me. I don't know who I am. I need someone in my corner that when I fall down, God, you're going to pick me back up. God, lead me. God, guide me. God, I place my faith in you. I trust you, Jesus. I don't understand everything but I know enough to believe in you. And everybody said, amen.
Thanks so much for listening. We hope this message impacted you and inspires you to draw closer to Jesus. Subscribe to this podcast and give us a follow on Instagram at Centerset Church to keep up with all that God is doing in our community. Also, we'd love to be in prayer with you. If you have any prayer requests, please send them to info at centerset.church.